Hey guys, and welcome to the Money Podcast. This episode, we're talking about women in the workplace. You've probably heard about the gender pay gap, but women aren't just dealing with the effects of getting paid less. Women also face what's known as the ambition penalty. Research shows that ambitious women face financial and relationship consequences when they ask for more. So let's talk about this. I'm Stacy Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Stacy. Let's do that. Pay me more. I can hear the threat in your voice already. (laughs) (laughs) Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Hey, Aaron. Hello, everybody. You ready to get shredded? That's what's going to happen to us today. Yeah, that's what's going to happen, yeah. Today's special guest is Stephanie O'Connor Rodriguez, founder of the Too Ambitious newsletter addressing gender, money, and power. Hello, Stephanie, and thanks for joining us. All right. I'm excited to spice it up. Me, I'm excited to have you spice it up because we're pretty much boring without you. Oh, no. How silly. Well, let's get the ball rolling. But first, a quick disclaimer. Should we discuss specific investments in this show? Don't take them as recommendations because they're not recommendations. Before you invest in anything, you got to do your own research. you got to make your own decisions. Let's get back to the topic at hand. Before we do that, Stephanie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. Uh, I'm the host of Real Simple's Money Confidential podcast, uh, and you know there we talk about money and how it actually shows up in people's lives by talking to people who have the questions. Um, it's actually what inspired a lot of the the work I've done around the ambition penalty. Is I noticed this disconnect between what we hear and then what it looks like to put something into practice in the case of the ambition penalty, as we'll talk about negotiation. Uh, so it's just been really fun to kind of dive into the disconnects and see what people's on the ground experiences are and how we can better bridge that gap between best practices and making sure those best practices actually work in the workplace and in our money and in building wealth and in our relationships. So that's what I do. Cool. And I've listened to your podcast, by the way, and it's excellent. Uh, Thank in fact, you. you're, you're very intellectual and a little intimidating to me so what <laughs> i was having heart patterns i was like oh my goodness i'm gonna go on the show i hope i can be really thoughtful because you know on the podcast i do a lot of listening but here i got to do a lot of talking so hopefully it can live up to my listening skills i'm, I'm gonna try to do a little listening which i never do i, I talk all the time no. and then i talk over other people when they're talking Oh, I do that too, actually. I'm a classic interrupter. <laughs> Man- Aaron's pointing at himself. I tell you, meaning I talk over you. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. Okay. Aaron, shut up. You're boring. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, now, Miranda, I have to I have to pick a bone with you before we start this. And then I really oh, will dear. try to be quiet because this is obviously not my topic. You wrote the intro, intro to this show, and I changed the word, wording of it. Now, here's what it said, and here's what I want to start arguing about. Okay, you probably heard about the gender pay gap. That's what I said. What you wrote was, you you probably heard about the gender pay gap where men get paid more than women for the same work. That is not true. That is not what the gender pay gap is. And and, and the reason I'm saying this and, and being so emphatic about it, because I've, I've, I've written articles about this for years and years. The gender pay gap refers to the, the, the whole of women make less than the whole of men. And I think that number is what, 83 cents on the dollar now? Is that right, Stephanie? It keeps changing every year, but yeah, I think it went. I think it got worse recently. But but it, this is conflated and in, and including by the network news, uh, into women make this make seventy three cents or eighty three cents on the dollar than that men make for the same job. That is not true. It is not for the yeah. same job. 
And I guess I should have been a little bit more uh, precise in my wording because part of the gender pay cap is there are places where women do get paid less for the same work. So that is that is an issue that does exist. And women who have uh, the same education or even more education and experience than men sometimes actually get paid less than men for doing those jobs. Um, And we've we've actually seen it in the research when you look at uh, when when you add race in there, too. but uh, you look at it and you see that a lot of the time uh, more like, like in order to get paid the same as a white man with a, a bachelor's degree, you actually need a higher degree as a woman of color. And so I think so I think that it's so so I should have been more precise in that because that's just one piece of the puzzle. As you said, it's it's a whole range of issues that contribute to this uh, overall gender pay gap. So you're you are correct. Yeah. I was sloppy in my writing. So thank you Yay. for addressing that. No, you know, the, the reason is like <laughs> this one, is, one time, this is okay, why okay, writers on, have hold, hold editors, on. everybody. This is why writers <laughs> have hold editors. On a second. <laughs> what, hold on a second. Uh, to make things equal. Miranda, why do you look like a shadow? Where's all oh, your lights? Probably because I forgot to turn on my lights. Oh yeah. So why don't you why do don't like we have shadow. Stephanie talk about this for a second while I wander yeah. over and turn on my lights? <laughs> yeah. And, I mean and, Yeah, go ahead, Stephanie. I'm uh, I'm done talking now. That was all I had to say. I'm gonna No, I think it's here. an important point. Um you know, the I think the pandemic was actually really constructive in helping us really understand some of these forces that shape the gender pay gap, because one of the biggest contributors is a lack of what's called temporal flexibility, um, which means uh, workplace structures are generally very rigid. And because women are typically tasked with a disproportionate share of uh, caretaking labor, unpaid labor, uh, things that just require a lot of of time that... um, particularly in the pandemic, became so much uh, more of stressors as child care centers were closed and uh, elderly relatives were in need of care or other people in their lives were were struck down with sickness. Um, What we saw is just how that disproportionate share of unpaid labor really had a direct effect on women's capacity to partake in paid labor. And actually, one of the most interesting Uh, analyses that I've read is that uh, the gender pay gap statistics, as you referenced, they refer to somebody partaking in full-time work year-round. But the capacity to partake in full-time work year-round differs wildly depending on these outside factors. And I actually think one of the biggest things that we need to focus on to talk about, you know, getting to pay equity is the distribution of this unpaid labor and not just the way we value paid labor. I'm a little confused by that. (laughs) Okay. So, so Stacy, in our society, who's expected to do most of the unpaid labor, like taking care of children and the house and the cooking? Obviously we know the answer to that. (laughs) And And that's unpaid labor, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Now I'm with you. So, so you, uh, there oh, were some, some really great stats. I, I, I was writing about this pretty recently, and, and it, there was uh, some analysis on quantifying this. Uh, 2020 report says women in, the, women in the United States spend 37% more time doing unpaid care work than men. It's about 95 extra eight-hour workdays each year for no pay. When you add both paid and unpaid work together, women still work longer hours. These gaps have grown even wider since the pandemic started. And so then when you see something like, you know, in the middle of 2020, you have these 
school closures, you've got millennial mothers being nearly three times more likely than millennial fathers to report being unable to work due to a school or child care closure during the lockdowns. You have more women forgoing paid employment to care for others. Um, and so I think it's just like there's not really a, any kind of holistic discussion of, of paid labor and paid equity that doesn't take into that, that, that exists in a vacuum. It exists within a landscape right. of like, as long as you have this inequitable distribution of labor in the household, you're going to continue to see these same problems show up in the workplace. Now, what, what's that's the, interesting. That's interesting that those those stats are increasing because I thought the the new generations, the millennials and the Gen Zers, were supposed to be the modern man. Yeah, they're but, not. No. <laughs> I thought so too. That's why. That's kind of why I went on a deep dive around millennial gender attitudes. And you, what you have is people coming into the labor force saying like, yeah, it's all going to be equal. And then what you have is 10 years later, what happens when you get a pandemic or you get a stressor is that the, generally speaking, the women's work is deprioritized mostly because they're already making less. So if some, someone's partner is going to be the one who steps back or has more flexibility, it's going to be the person who's making less. Do, do you have stats on... Um other countries other than the U.S.? Is there any country that's, that's got this down pat? I haven't found anybody who's really nailing it. I mean, obviously, <laughs> with the Nordic countries, there's some uh, better stats because of um, care policies, family leave policies. But honestly, it's kind of everywhere. This is, this. <laughs> I would love to say, oh, man, we have a model. Let's just use this. But it's it's not looking good. But yeah. By the way, and I think, I oh. Uh, let me just inject one thing. Um, it is true, though, that the, the gender pay gap among younger women, there has been progress, apparently, according to Pew Research anyway. Old, women aged 25 to 34 earn 93 cents for every dollar a man make in the same age group. Yeah. So, so that's, that's some progress, right? I mean, it's not equality, but it's some progress. Miranda, I don't know if you wanted to jump in on that or if you want me to. <laughs> well, I want you to, know, but I do. I do want to kind of uh, bringing in this unpaid labor thing. Just kind of uh, point out that there have been studies, uh, you know, because you're like, oh, well, if we're being more egalitarian, what happens if there's a man who stays home more? And when you look at the studies, actually, women end up doing even more housework uh, when when they're when their partner when they're in a, in a heterosexual coupling when their uh, male partner is staying home because they're working part time or they're uh, unemployed, uh, women actually end up doing more housework because the men feel emasculated by the fact that they're not working. And so in our, because in our society, right, men are expected to be the providers. And so they refuse to do what's called women's work because they don't want to be further. Anyway, it's just a weird stat when we were talking about unpaired some labor, men, labor. Some men, not all oh, men. Yeah, not all men, of course. But uh, but I'm just saying, it's just <laughs> one of those weird societal things that we've got uh, and is an issue. So anyway, sorry. Back to you, Stephanie. Well, yeah. just to expand on what you said, um, so the data, that, that holds true, Miranda, what you were saying. It holds true among younger generations, as we've talked about. It holds true even in cases where women out-earn their partners. And it holds true even in families where men are unemployed, which are all really interesting to me. And I, I want to be clear that when I talk about these things, I'm not trying to talk about this on an individual level. Like, dudes, come on, get it together. I don't think <laughs> it's that. I think it's a broader problem of, like, 
we need for it to be okay for the the right. male partner in a relationship to take time away from the workforce. These kinds of ideas of how women should behave or what they should prioritize or what how men should behave or what they should prioritize hurt everybody. So I, I really think anything I talk about today or in general is really not a matter of like just individual behavior. I think it's a broader like societal attitude that I think we really need to reexamine because it hurts everybody. Do you, now, you would think that, I mean, I'm almost certainly, although I can't, I have no statistics to back this up, but certainly this relationship between men and women and, and domestic responsibilities and blah, 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 has advanced since 1950. You think it's exactly the same? I mean, well, women didn't even, they weren't nearly as represented in the workplace in 1950 yeah. as they are now. So this has been one of the most interesting things that I've noticed in the research. Uh, women today spend more time with their children than they did when they were not in the paid labor force. And so what we see in terms of progress for, for women on measures of workplace and gender equality is that what that looks like is being able to access opportunities outside of the 1950s homemaking ideal. So it was like, okay, your primary responsibility was to be the homemaker, the caretaker, and now you can access the labor force, and now you can uh, potentially reach positions of leadership, and now you can lean in and, and advance in the, the corporate hierarchy. And so the responsibilities have really expanded for women. The roles have expanded for women. You have people who are breadwinners and caretakers who are women. But what's happening is that same expansion of what that traditional heteronormative male role was for men, it just hasn't expanded. It was, you are the provider and it remains, you yeah, are the provider. True. And so I think that's a lot of pressure on that male role, which is just not constructive, I don't think. Um, and then it's a lot of pressure on women because then if somebody is not helping take on some of the unpaid tasks as you continue with your unpaid tasks and your paid tasks, it just becomes really unsustainable. What, what do we, well, what do we do about this? And well, let me ask you this question. Why hasn't this changed? <laughs> oh, I, I, how, how long has this been talked about? I, I mean, it seems like probably, was this, was this, was these, were these conversations happening in the fifties and sixties? They were certainly and, happening it, in the seventies. I can tell you that. Cause I was there. That's what I thought. They well, you know, were. that's one of the wildest things is like the seventies act was it, it, it made a difference. It, I think I think what's happened is in the 70s, you saw a lot of really big improvements to the ways um, women were valued beyond the home. And you saw real progress on measures of equity that we still use to this day, whether it's pay or representation in, in certain environments. Um, but one thing that really struck me was I really kind of came of age in the 90s, and that was like peak girl power movement. It was when when it the promise was like, take your daughter to work day, and if she sees what you can do, and my mom was like a corporate go-getter. She she was great. So she was a role model. Uh, you know, if, if I see what my mom does, then that opens up a whole generation of opportunity when these young girls become women. Right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. But what was really interesting to me is you know, I'm almost 36 now. So I'm relatively young, but it's when I look around, I'm pretty shocked by 
how little has changed, not in terms of the conversation. I think culturally, the conversation is a lot further along. But when I look at the statistics, the numbers, the women who are in the C-suite or in leadership positions or in politics, those numbers really haven't moved much since the 90s when I was in that girl power movement. And it's really disempowering to look at that. And that's why I try, oh, I started this deep dive on trying to find, okay, if, if what we got in the 70s worked up to a point, and it's kind of stalled out for the last decade or two, we need to expand the way we talk about these things to be more effective. Because what we've been kind of doing is just doubling down on what we've been doing. And obviously that's not working. And so that's where I look at things like, oh, maybe it's time we look at the distribution of unpaid labor in the conversation around gender equity and how that relates to what's possible on pay equity. Maybe we look at uh, what I call the ambition penalty and see, well, how does that influence what leadership roles and opportunities are accessible to women in the workplace? So I think it's thinking more expansively, but it's really hard to have those conversations. They're happening in, in small corners of the internet, but I don't think that they're really like coming into mainstream policy or, you know, when they do it, it, it's like, there's no, uh, even entertaining the idea of, of real childcare policy and paid leave. Well, so. let's do this. Let's do this. I, we have to take a really quick break, but when we get back, I want to know exactly what all four of us can do, what you <laughs> can do as women and what, and what Aaron and I can do as troglodytes. Okay. So we'll be right back after this. Okay, we are back, and now we need to know, well, actually, let, we haven't even done this yet, Stephanie. Have we, have we even um, defined what the ambition penalty is? I mean, that, that's what the book you wrote, right? Uh, well, I, I wrote an op-ed for Bloomberg about oh, the ambition that. penalty, yes. Um, and so that was kind of this, this uh, compilation of research I had been looking into and and really trying to understand where, again, this disconnect was happening between you know what we're saying women should do and then how that's being received. Uh, so I've been talking to women who have heard all this negotiation advice, again, growing up in that girl power movement, just ask for what you want. Also, this is the lean in generation, right? Lean in and you will advance. If you are assertive, if you raise your hand, if you speak up. Um, and generally speaking, these things are effective for men. Uh, but when women do the same behaviors, they experience backlash and penalties. And I mean that in really tangible terms. They end Some, up getting fired. Fired or they, just not they, You could be fired. You could have a job not offer rescinded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, 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 speak, I can't tell you the amount of women I've spoken to who have had job offers rescinded after trying to negotiate them. Um, also, uh, you know, you, you have things that are a little bit more intangible. So you'll have somebody who says, you know, I had a really great relationship in my workplace, but when I went in for a performance review and I was really trying to talk about expanding the role and what my future career opportunities were there, you know, I started to be labeled as difficult. I started to be shut out of conversations. I started to be considered not a good fit. And I felt like there was really no more opportunity for me to progress in the organization. And this isn't just anecdotal stuff. This is borne out in just 
tons of research that even things where you have controlled studies and they're just changing the name on the resume from a man's name to a woman's name, you see these same penalties play out in action. The woman is more considered uh, to be less likable, less hireable, less promotable, uh, and that has real consequences in terms of women's career trajectory. And, and, and you that's know, what this I is call. true, by the way. Aaron and I shot a story years ago. Um, that was you, Aaron. We did the psychologist. We we're talking about the way people looked. Yeah. So, yeah. in other words, if yeah. you're if you're taller, man or woman, you're paid mm -hmm. more. Uh, yep. If you're attractive, you're paid more. Uh, and, and these are these are built-in prejudices. And I think a lot of this. And you correct me if I'm wrong, Stephanie. I think a lot of the things that happen sometimes. It, you, it sounds like there's some jerk saying, "I'm not going to hire her because she's a woman," you know. But really, a lot of this stuff, I think, like the appearance thing, it's mm -hmm. subconscious. We don't even know Absolutely. we're doing it. You know? Absolutely. And, and also it's complicated, too, because, you know, with the appearance thing, it could be that people who are attractive have more self-confidence, which makes them more successful at work. You see what I'm saying? So there's a lot of complicated stuff. Also, there, there's been the, uh, the thing where they send out resumes with um, obvious African names and, and they got way fewer calls than people with obviously Caucasian names. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's in other words, there's inherent prejudice, probably in even the four of us. I mean, you know, because of the way we're raised. A hundred percent. And this is, this is, again, such an important point. I think it's important that we all understand that these things are really typically not thing that we're all sitting here explicitly saying like, yeah, we don't want women to be leaders. We don't want diversity. In fact, most of us are like, how can we make sure that we have more diverse and inclusive workplaces and make these safe spaces? But the fact is like, this isn't about you or me or one person or another who is just harboring this resentment or kind of deep seated feelings. This is just a system of typically unconscious biases and prejudices that all of us exist within. And so I think if we can really understand this as not a you versus me thing or a man versus woman thing or anything else, but rather you know a system of a certain status quo, a status quo of the workplace of leadership that has existed for hundreds of years and like in its modern iteration for about a hundred years, like the nine to five workday was built around a very specific idea of who the ideal worker is and what being successful looks like. And so when we see things that, even things that we're talking about, temporal flexibi flexibility, like working outside of nine to five hours, it sounds like an accommodation, but it, it's actually, you know, the nine to five workday as it exists, it was built for the worker who had somebody in the home, taking care of somebody full time, the family full time, the household full time. So we have to kind of like rethink these assumptions of like who the ideal worker is, who the workplace is built for, and how we're going to get the best outcomes for everybody. Now, now, okay, so let's get specific if we can, at least. Uh, how do we dismantle this institutionalized prejudice? Uh, are there specific steps that we should be taking? Are there specific things you should be taking as a woman? specific steps you should be taking, are there specific steps I should be taking as an employer? Yeah. So um, the number one thing is to just acknowledge that these things exist. <laughs> and, uh, I know that sounds like not a very active step, but the degree to which there is so much resistance around just saying like, yeah, I have unconscious biases and let me start by rethinking the assumptions I'm making and seeing how this is actually 
affecting outcomes and contributing to these problems. That's such an important first step that I would say the vast majority of people are not doing or not willing to do. How, uh, how do we how do we do that when you know since elementary school or, or high school we get into social clubs and it becomes the boys club, it becomes the jock club, it becomes the art club, and that goes right through college and right into the workplace. I mean, how do you step on that? I mean, reverse that trend. Good question. Yeah, it is a good question. It's this is really a, a discussion, uh, not just uh, about men and women. It's it's just a discussion around the way we talk about gender roles, to be honest, right? Like a boy is this and a girl is this and this is what's expected of each person. And so I think a lot of this is just challenging the assumption that, you know, it's hard being being assertive and being, you know, a, a man should have as much flexibility to be kind and to stay home and be a caretaker as a woman should have as much uh, flexibility to be assertive and to be in the workplace. You know, there's all this talk to women these days about the words they should you know, cut out of their vocabulary so that they sound more masculine. And it's like, stop saying just and stop using your exclamation points in your emails and stop apologizing so much. And I don't know that this is the answer. I think the answer is, can we make more space that everybody can feel like they can apologize if they've done something wrong or, you know, use exclamation points if they're excited? Why do we all have to behave in this one model of what a man is or what assertive is to, to see success yeah, and, and to be know, taken to me, seriously. Though, Stephanie, it seems like we are moving in that direction with the acceptance of, of gay people. With I mean, like, you know, I, I work at home. I do most of the housework in my house because my wife works in her office and because I want to, I don't want to work. So I get up and clean the kitchen counter instead. But, you know, I mean, it, it does seem like things aren't as rigid as they were when I was a boy in, in terms of what gender roles are. Do, do you agree or disagree, Miranda? Well, I think, I, I mean, I think on an individual level, a lot of us look at that, but still on a societal level, because like, I remember uh, when I was married, my ex-husband actually, uh, I was the primary breadwinner for our entire marriage. And my ex-husband did a lot of the housework, a lot of the cooking. He was the primary caregiver for our son for almost two years. And he did these things. Um, and, and then on an individual level, you're like, yes, dude is a feminist. He has taken on the stuff. That is fantastic. But... We would go to church on Sunday and he would be ridiculed by everybody around him really? for not being the proper provider. We were in a very traditional community, <laughs> but he would be ridiculed and they would be like, when are you going to get a job? Even to some extent, my family, whom I love, would be like, when is he going to get a job? When is he going to do this so that you don't have to do this? Like, I can imagine that happening. I really can. So there was a lot of so so it's not so much about like, OK, so, you know, it's more about what Stephanie is talking about as a society. We need to start having these conversations where we say it is OK. You're not going to go to your community and have them ridicule you as a man if that's what you want to do, if you want to be a yeah, caregiver. Yeah, my ex-husband, my ex-husband has way more empathy than I could ever have. And but he gets but everybody assumes like, oh, well, Miranda's the one that you need to go to for emotional support. No, you should really go to my ex-husband <laughs> if you want emotional support. Um because he is he is a much more empathetic and kind and caring person. And these are all learned behaviors that we are learn we learn and we're told, and especially if you still live in a very traditional community, I was told growing up that it was my nature 
to be a certain way, to be more empathetic, to be more kind, to be more nurturing. And I didn't have that naturally. And so I actually spent a lot of time going, what is wrong with me as a person that I am not fulfilling this role that I'm supposed to be feeling naturally. These are all learned behaviors. Um, and depending on, you know, and some people have it, have a talent for it more than others. My ex-husband has a talent for it more than I do. It took him less to learn those behaviors than it took me to learn those behaviors, but everybody assumed that it was the opposite. So I think, I think a lot of it has to do with what Stephanie was talking about. Are we having these conversations on a wider level? What are we doing to say, Hey, uh, first of all, yes, we need paid maternity leave, but are we going to have paid paternity leave? Are we recognizing these things that uh, allow families to earn money, to uh, create a structure that works for them? And are we being truly supportive of all types of families? Do we have good child care policies? We don't. Do we have these things that support families and allow families to find structures and incomes and ways of working uh, that fix them? And, and once again, going back to that nine to five thing, uh, we have progressed like nine to five is, is, you know, decades old, we have progressed to a point in our society where there are very few jobs that actually need to be done nine to five in an office setting. And so there's a whole discussion about, well, what's that flexibility, that, that flexibility look like? Can is because like, you know, can we say like, uh, Okay, well, dad is going to take you to a, a doctor's appointment. And fun fact, I have friends who have told their schools on numerous occasions, here's the phone number for the father, call dad when somebody needs to be picked up from school called, they still get called. And they'll call yeah. them five times and leave voice messages on their phones and never call the dad. It's insanity. So it's conversations <laughs> like this one that it, that move the ball forward. Yes. Right? Yeah, I was going to say, I would, I would think constantly having these conversations moves a little bit forward. I mean, not constantly. I, I thought there's not constantly. Oh, I thought I thought I thought women were actually trying to like start picking up their power because I mean they're not wearing the high heels that are portrayed in movies and magazines anymore and stuff like this. So I thought they were kind of like taking their power back in the new generation. And then um, I got to imagine you hear the stats, but there, I mean, America is a a melting pot of cultures and there's constantly oh, a true. new inf influence of, of cultures always coming in here and a lot of these outside cultures are, are patriarchal in, in, a, in a way so i would imagine that as it mixes it takes time for that to learn and grow and, and change wouldn't it from the from the cultures that have been here for you know the past 200 years you know, one of the things that strikes me about, about, you know, patriarchy as a system is the way it really transcends the globe and it really transcends race and it really transcends class. I will say, yes, obviously women in this country have um, in many ways a lot more freedoms than other places on the planet. But quite frankly, our measures of a lot of basic um health metrics like maternal mortality rate for example that stuff's getting worse yeah. in the united states women are millennial women are more likely to live in poverty than their mothers uh it's it's not good it's really not good and i think sometimes what happens is we get really in the world of social media or media and we see the exceptions and because the exceptions are high, high profile we think we're farther along than we have than we are and I, uh, Stacey, to your point before about like, isn't it better? I'm actually, I don't think so. I don't think so because the pandemic was really 
instructive for how far we have come because of the amount of women who are pushed out of the labor force, who are more likely to be dealing with uh, financial stressors as a result of uh, the expectations that we've been talking about with workplaces that were unwilling or unable to accommodate. And I just think like we really need to interrogate our assumptions about where we are and fact check them so that we can come up with better conversations and solutions because I think we've really reached the limits of the lean-in kind of yeah. style of advice. Well, I'll tell you, Stephanie, when I, when I was doing the research for this podcast, um, I, I have to call myself out for being defensive. I, I live in a patriarchy, and guess what? I'm a patriarch. <laughs> and so when I read things saying men do this or white people do this, you know, in other words, right. when I'm cast as a villain, when I'm really trying to be on your team, I, I tend to get defensive, you know, and so I'm saying, well, think, come on, things must have changed. Is that is that something that I really think, or is that something that I'm just being defensive and, and responding to knee, knee jerk reaction because I don't want to be the bad guy? Yeah, and this is and this is why this is, these are hard conversations, and, and that's why you know I try to take accountability and cast myself as part of the problem too. None of us are not part of it. Right. We're all part of it. And importantly, to understand with the ambition penalty, for example, you know, talking about women who who receive backlash or who are penalized for doing things like negotiating. Women do this to other women as well. This is not a man versus woman thing. What it is about is status quo, status quo of money, leadership, power in this country is white, cis, heterosexual male. And so what patriarchy is about is you know, making things and decisions that are in alignment with status quo, upholding status quo. If I, as a woman, uphold the status quo of that power structure by keeping other women down or penalizing other women, even if I'm not consciously doing that, because status quo and reinforcing it is rewarded I can be rewarded by doing things that are, are not good for other women. So I think, again, it's not about like casting anybody as a villain. It's about understanding a system of incentives, rewards, and disincentives, and trying to rejigger those so that they're not creating these unequal outcomes. Well said. And I, and I think Go that's ahead, a man. really good... Oh, sorry. I think that's a really good point because... Um, being aware is like that first step and being aware mm -hmm. and saying, okay, what do you do? One of one, one good example, and especially that men can do is share their pay and mm -hmm. pay transparency. As a freelance writer, I was floored when I found out that um, uh, a male colleague and I were writing for the same company and I'm a better writer. And, uh, <laughs> but he was getting paid twice as much as I was. And we talk about negotiation. We talk about, well, you have to negotiate your pay. Well, why? Why do we have a system where we have to negotiate our pay? Uh, because once once again, you know, women fall behind on all measures when you're in this system where they're getting paid less because they don't know, okay, what's a good pay range? What is appropriate for this situation, uh, for this job, for this experience level I have, for this education I have? Once you start in at that lower pay scale, that affects everything. It affects how much you're setting aside for retirement. And then that affects how much you're going to have that compounding returns on your investments for retirement. There's a reason why this this stuff snowballs uh, yeah. just because we don't know. And so when this male colleague came to, you know, was transparent about his pay, um, 
And now I'm lucky to be in a situation where we share, uh, we have a freelancer group and we have men and women both in this freelancer group. And we're all sharing uh, what we're pay getting paid at various places. We're sharing the kinds of, you know, things that go on, the kinds of editors who are working with us. And we're all, you know, that's that's just a small little microcosm. But even just more transparency I'm very is something that, that we can hey, all Brenda. do. I got a question for you, Miranda. Uh, so last episode, uh, 139, we talked about crypto. Mm. And we talked about how uh, these ledgers apparently are public and everybody could see them. So in theory, if an employer paid you through crypto, would that kind of open up the scales of like, oh, this is what women are getting paid, this is what men are getting paid because it's a public ledger? I mean, it would help, but you don't even have to go so far as that. When yeah, I worked yeah, for, don't. I worked for a startup. Uh, I took, I took two years of my life and worked for a startup once. Um, shocked everybody, but uh, but one of the things they did was they just had a spreadsheet out there and it had everybody's mm -hmm. pay on it and it had everybody's pay level and it had you know like you know and I was as far as writers go, I was the top paid writer because I was the senior writer. I was. You know, I was the senior writer. I had the most experience. I had the most education, and so I was compensated accordingly. And um, and and but they were very transparent about like here's what everybody makes, CEO all the way down. And that's that's a that's an ongoing trend. Albeit, mm -hmm. I'm sure very very tip of the iceberg, but uh, but it's but at least it is a trend. Uh, but you'll yeah. never, I'll never tell you how much money I make, Rand. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> and and by the way, just to, just to be clear too, at Money Talks News. Every writer gets paid the exact same amount for every article. It's and this and is I true. certainly have never cared whether somebody is male or female or black or white for that matter. I mean, this doesn't make any sense to me. I want to hire the best talent I can for the money I have. But and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who say that. Um, okay, so we are completely out of time, like negative out of time. Like we have to go back in time to be on time. Um, so any any really quick closing thoughts from anybody? Uh, yeah, um, for women power, just do what my wife does. Just act like you don't know how to do something. That way the male has to do the dishes Listen to and you. the laundry. <laughs> that, that's actually what men do to make women do. That's what I'm saying. That's actually Sam, a thing. Do exactly what men do. <laughs> do exactly what the men do, and then that makes the men do everything. It, it, it's, you guys sound like your friend Wilma Flintstone. You shouldn't have said that. You realize we're still recording, right? We, we know Aaron doesn't actually mean it. He's being funny. <laughs> I'm just joking. He is joking. Okay. That, 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 with that erudite thought, we are now going to close our podcast. We are out of time, guys, but you know what? We are never out of topic. You want to dig a little deeper on this one. It's really fascinating. You're going to find links to Lost More Info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com, where you will never be discriminated against, whether you're male or female. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is mirandamarquit.com. And sign up for Stephanie's newsletter at her website. That is ambitionbulletin, ambitionbulletin.com. And, and, and Stephanie, um, you also have a podcast, which I just listened to, and I can't remember the name of it. Money Confidential. Yeah, Money Confidential. That's right. Check that out, too. It's really good. Okay, if you've got a question or comment or topic you'd like to suggest, tell us about it. You can email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one last thing, if you appreciate what we do, do something for us. Subscribe to our podcast. Takes you two seconds. Really helps us out, though. So if you like us, show us and subscribe. I'm Stacy Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette. I have to do the dishes, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> and this is where you say your name, too, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez, and thanks for doing those dishes. <laughs> hey, thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. We're going to see you right here next time. <laughs>